Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. This morning's message is very similar or it's uh, in line with last week's message. And uh, I've entitled it Intimacy with Jesus and His Church. And we'll get into John chapter 15. Most of us know John chapter 15. It's an awesome passage of Scripture. And we're going to look at a, a few um, truths from this chapter and really just uh, allow the Holy Spirit to, to build from John chapter 15 and really just bring to light the things that Jesus communicated when he ministered this specific message, when he talked about this specific parable of uh, the vineyard. And the vineyard is really like, at its core, before we get into the chapter, if you look at a vineyard, I want to invite you to engage with your imagination this morning. When you're studying the Word, uh, we shouldn't kind of just read it as, a, as letters or as words, but it's, uh, we need to engage with the picture of what is happening uh, when Jesus was teaching, because... Remember, when the disciples was walking with Jesus, they saw, they, they saw with their natural senses. Now some of you uh, might have wondered about this or thought, thought, had this thought in your life where you're like, man, if I was one of the disciples, if I was walking with Jesus, my life would probably look a little bit different. If I got to hear physically from Jesus' mouth these words, then I would have believed them more. Right? None of you, none of you have ever had those thoughts where like, man, if I walked with Jesus, it should have have been better. Think about this quickly. That statement, in and of itself, is a statement of pride. Why am I saying that? Because you are saying that you know better than God. Because Jesus said, if I go, it is better for you. Jesus, not Etienne, not some cool guy. Jesus, the Son of God, said that. I mean, not, 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 it was two separate thoughts there. Not Etienne or not some other cool guy. But if you guys think I'm cool, thank you. Um, so it was, it was Jesus declaring these words that if I go, I'm sending you a comfort. It's better for you. Now, with that same thought, remember this. You guys have heard of, of a guy named Saul. His name was Saul and then it got changed to Paul. And Paul is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So the majority of the New Testament writings is by this guy Paul. Guess what? This guy Paul wasn't one of the disciples of Jesus. There's a significance in that. The writings and the revelations that Paul had, and he writes about this and he says it's from the Holy Spirit himself. It wasn't through physically engaging with Jesus that he received the revelations he did. That he lived out a life of radical fruitfulness, it wasn't by walking with Jesus in the flesh. It was by having a revelation and understanding of Jesus in the Spirit inside of Him. Never leaving Him. Never being separated for even a moment. Where the disciples were separated from Jesus at times. Because He was limited to His physical body. He was limited to time. He had to sleep. He had to take time out from ministry. But guess what? God's Word in you doesn't take time out from ministering to you. It doesn't take time out to go and sleep. This wasn't part of my notes, but you guys need to believe, you need to get this because this is radical for us to walk and to enjoy intimacy with God. 
to get an understanding of what it means to be one with God. To never be separated from Him. Because Christianity at large has created so many barriers between us and God. Put so many hindrances between us and God and are in, us enjoying intimacy with Him and with one another. So coming back to John chapter 15, let's engage with, with our imagination as we're reading and as we're studying these, these verses. And as we're going through them, there's obviously specific things that the Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to minister to us this morning in my preparation. And there will be some things that come up that I didn't prepare that I might have missed in preparation because guess what? I'm still one third quite carnal in my, in my physical body and in my uh, emotions as well. If you've ever spent some time with me, that sometimes I get quite impatient. You can ask my wife. Um, I get impatient a little bit and I kind of uh, say things that I shouldn't say. Um, so, so as I'm preparing, I'm doing it with the Holy Spirit and um, I believe that there's, there's different, uh, specific things He wants to draw out for us uh, from, from our preparation. But more than that, you are one with God. His Spirit is living inside of you. And there's going to be specific things that He's going to minister to you and bring to your heart as I'm sharing with you. Some things that I might not even be talking about. Make note of those things because there's a significance in that. Emphasis on make note. Say make note with me. Now it's an invitation. And like most invitations, it's a free will. Like you can do or you don't. You arrive or you don't. You RSVP yes or you RSVP no. Right? Free will. But guess what? When you make note, when you decide to partake of the word, you are telling the Holy Spirit, in effect, I'm ready to receive whatever you have for me. Not just what Etin is say, saying, but whatever you are maybe illuminating to my heart that Etin didn't even get to. Because guess what? Each person in this room is at a, is a specific uh, place and season in their life. So I'm ministering generally to, to the audience, to the family. And there's going to be significant ministry happening. But personally, God also wants to speak to you. Speak to you personally, individually. And by making notes, you're saying, Father, here I am. I'm listening. I'm not just kind of walking about and going through the motions, but I'm purposing that I want to hear from you and make note and take note of that. Amen. Awesome. John chapter 15 verse 1. I'll be using a few different translations again. You guys can also follow on the screen um, or you can also follow in your own personal Bibles. So John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now we'll, we'll go take it verse from verse and at, at some times we'll re read a little bit more than one verse but I want to just Zone in on this first verse a little bit. I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Now, in Jesus' declaration of I'm the true vine should by default mean that there's also a false vine or a counterfeit vine, right? We need to think when we're studying the word, when statements are being made, we need to think of, okay, what is the opposite then of this? So if Jesus is saying that I'm the true vine, he's also implying that there's a false vine, there's a counterfeit vine. What does that mean? Let's go to John chapter 4 to see a little bit more of this unfold, a little bit more of this truth being revealed to us. John 4 verse 21 to 24. Because remember, Jesus also said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if He is the way, the truth, and the life, if He is the true vine, 
there must be something else that is false, that is a counterfeit. And none of us want to buy into a counterfeit, right? None of us want to kind of put our money, put our investment into things that is counterfeit, that's not the real deal. We want to enjoy the real deal. So John 4 verse 21 to 24 says, Jesus said to her, this is the story and I want to encourage you guys to, in your own uh, personal uh, Bible study, go and look at the, the full context and the full story of this account where Jesus meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he, uh, we jump into the middle of the story just to uh, draw out specific truths in line of Jesus being the true vine here. And it says, Jesus said to a woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither merely in this mountain nor merely in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not know what you are worshipping. You worship what you do not comprehend. We do know what we're worshipping. We worship what we have knowledge of and understand. For after all, salvation comes from among the Jews. A time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true genuine worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, reality. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, as his worshippers. God is spirit, a spiritual being, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, or reality. The question is this, do you know who you worship? Do you know who you worship? Because Jesus is making the statement of the Samaritans, they do not know, they do not comprehend, they do not have an understanding of who they worship. They're worshipping this God that they call God, right? But do you know this God that you worship him? This is a very profound question and a statement to think about. Do you know who you worship him? Why Jesus? That's quite a difficult question for a lot of believers. They've never thought about that. They just, maybe this is your answer. And the awesome thing with a good word it is, challenging word. Some of you guys remembered. Well done. A good word is a challenging word because challenge brings in about change. If you're up for the challenge, right? You can get invited to go to the gym and say no. Guess what? Not going is not going to challenge you. It's not going to challenge your muscles and your muscles won't be able to change. Meaning grow or cut away, right? Cut away some other stuff. <laughs> The big F word that we're not allowed to use. <laughs> it's fat, guys, for those who didn't get it. It's invitation, and the challenge is this. Ask this question, why Jesus? Think about that. As a believer, as a Christian, if an unbeliever asks you, why Jesus, why are you a Christian? Your answer can't be because my parents were Christian. That is not the answer that's going to convict them of something more. Your answer can't be because I, I live in South Africa and everyone's Christian. Cultural Christianity has never brought about transformation in the individual and it cannot bring transformation in the nation. Cultural Christianity has never brought about eternal change for anyone. It's no good. That doesn't mean those people aren't going to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But God desires not just to have baby Christians. He desires for us to be adult Christians. 
Amen? Maybe you're enjoying being a baby and being spoon-fed. And we'll, we'll have you. We'll have you. But we're always going to bring the challenge. We're always going to stir something more inside of you. Because there's more for you than just being a baby Christian who's being spoon-fed, who's being self-centered. My son, Chris, age 15 months now, he's quite self-centered. And that's fine. He does not know better. That's what he's used to. He's still growing and maturing into becoming an adult. As Christians, as believers, we want to grow and mature to adulthood. And we'll get into that in a moment, where Jesus talks about fruitfulness. But it starts with asking this question, do you know who you are worshipping? Have you personally gotten to know Him, or is it just because of this, this cultural Christianity? God's desire, then Jesus says, yeah, God's desire for us is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? And this, this, is, this ties into this true vine concept that Jesus is talking about. There's only one way to be part of the vine. It's not by works. It's not by bloodline. It's not by anything that man can do. Man could not and would never be able to stand in God's presence, enjoy fellowship with Him apart from Jesus. There's only one way to the Father, Jesus said, it's through me. It's through faith in me. It's not through your works. It's not through your good motives. It's not through going to church. It's not through being born in a Christian family. No, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Every person on the face of the earth has always and will always enter into the family of God. Enjoy fellowship with God through one way and it's through Jesus. Not by anything we do or don't do. Only by faith. It's through faith that we are adopted and grafted into God's family. Let's talk about this, this, this question or this topic of adoption quickly for a moment. Now the word adoption and the concept was actually not such a, fo or a, a familiar or such a common uh, concept to, to the Jewish nation, but it was a very common concept to the Roman culture. And in the Roman culture when... When a slave was adopted, because slaves were adopted into the families at times. And this phrase and this picture of adoption, when a slave gets into adopted, whatever the background of that slave was, whether it was a Jewish slave, uh, whether it was a, a Greek slave, it doesn't really matter. But when a slave was in, adopted into the family of the, 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 the Roman family, everything changed. That slave was no longer looked at as a slave, but they looked at as a uh, a citizen of that Roman family. Everything about them changed. They got full right, full citizenship to every privilege the Romans had. It doesn't matter where they've come from. It doesn't matter what their background. Everything changed. They had a right to speak on behalf of the head of the house. They got given authority. And it's the same with us. We are adopted into family. Guess what? Your past is your past. Too often we look at ourselves and we remember our past and we, we're so familiar with our past and where we're coming from that we're not enjoying the family of God. We're not enjoying the benefits of being part of this family. 
We're not using our authority that's been given to us by God being part of this family. Adoption is something that is chosen by someone else and it's an invitation to the other. When you're born into a natural family, guess what? None of you had a say in being born. Think about that. None of you had a say. When you were born, your parents had a say. You did not have a say being born into this life. It just happened. Or well, it didn't just happen. There was a lot of things that uh, was involved in that coming about. But the awesome thing with adoption is God chose you. You get to receive the invitation or not. God chose you. He gave you freedom, free will to choose to be adopted into His family. That is beautiful. He made a way for us because there was no way. But He made a way for us to be adopted into His family. We need to no longer regard ourselves and one another after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, We no longer regard one another after the flesh, but after the Spirit. As we regarded Christ at a time after the flesh, we no longer regard Him in that way. And then verse 17 says that, For anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, or a new creature. You're a new being. The old is gone, the new has come. That is what the Word declares. So you need to no longer see yourself as a sinner. You were a sinner. Praise God for His grace because His grace made a way for you to accept His righteousness and become a saint. Become His righteousness. His holy one. It's by God's work and all you needed to do is put faith in that. Now coming back to John chapter 15, there's only one way to truly experience fullness of life. There's only one way, linking back to last week's message, there's only one way to experience a great year. And that is in union with Christ, because He is the only way to experience abundant fruitfulness. We're going to look at the next uh, verses in a moment. Now we see two important things in this, this opening parable as well. Jesus is talking about Himself being the vine, and then He's also talking about God the farmer. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman. The husbandman is another way of talking about the farmer or the owner of the land. Now, we'll see these things unfold a little bit, but take note of that. Jesus says, I'm the vine and then he says, my father is the husbandman or my father is uh, the farmer. We'll come back to these two truths as we continue in the verses. Verse 2. It says, He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as much, or for as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me. So question, what happens to the fruitless branches? Now some translations get it horribly wrong. The Passion Translation gets it beautifully right. Because if you read any other translation there, it talks about the fruitless branches being cut off. And that is not how God works with His family. Because remember, Jesus talking about this statement, I'm the vine, my father being the farmer, 
Him being the vine, us being the branches, it's already talking about, how can I put this, change, DNA. An unbeliever cannot be a branch within the vine. Stay with me. So when Jesus is talking about this parable, He's talking to believers. He's, talk, he's, he's using a phrase for the believers. I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can only be connected to the vine by faith in Jesus. You guys get what I'm, where I'm going with this? So the statements and the things that he's sharing here is not talking about unbelievers being disconnected or being cut off. You can only be in the vine when you've believed on Jesus Christ. So the, the, the translations that are talking about a cutting off is incorrect within the doctrine of the gospel. Because God does not cut people off of his family. God does not send people to hell. God's given the mankind free will to choose life or to choose death. If someone goes to hell, it's because of their free will to go there. Nothing you do can cut you off of God's family. Because nothing that man does can undo what God Almighty through His miracle working power did by you receiving the Spirit of God inside of you. Think about that. No vaccine can undo what God did through His Spirit in you. I know that was stepping on some toes. Forgive me. Whether that was the Spirit or the flesh, like, let it be revealed to you. <laughs> so we need to understand the Passion Translation, and we're going to look at even within nature and within the actual farming, because when Jesus used this parable... He didn't use it and change the parable, change the significance of what it looked like in the natural, right? When a parable is used, it's used in line with or in, 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 in parallel with how it actually was, right? So he's not changing the concept of farming. So he's using a concept that already is to illustrate a point. So in the natural, when you look at farming, there's never cutting away of branches because they're not bearing fruit. There's a lifting up of And maybe there's different, uh, um, like with most farming, there's different processes or different methods. But within this context, Jesus is talking about the method that the Passion Translation is uh, translating for us here. And it says, by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield greater harvest. So here we see these two concepts. There's fruitless and then there's fruitful branches. So what happens to the fruitless branches? They get lift up. They get lift up. They get pulled closer. Doesn't that make more sense? Because guess what? The branch being cut off of the vine cannot bear any fruit. It makes common sense, right? But common sense is not all that common. Pulls closer. If you are in isolation from the family of God, you're not going to bear a lot of fruit. That's why it's the greatest attack on every, every and any believer. It's to get you to isolation. Get you to withdraw from family, from community. As the saying goes, what happens with the coal that is removed from the fire? It dies out. The longer the coal stay together, the longer they generate and rub off on one another, so to speak. What happens to the 
the buffalo that's isolated, it gets taken out. But a buffalo, if you've seen any Animal Planet or National Geographic show, when the buffalo stick together, it's pretty hard for the lion to get them. So we are called to stick together, and that's why Jesus is talking about lifting up, pulling closer, probbing up the fruitless branches, lifting them up. And then he's talking about pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. Say greater harvest. Greater harvest means greater fruitfulness. Now the awesome thing with greater fruitfulness, what comes to your mind when you hear greater fruitfulness? Just think about that quickly. Because Jesus is talking about a pruning that brings about a greater fruitfulness. And we're going to look at what this pruning means in a moment. But what comes to your mind when you read greater fruitfulness? Don't tell me, please. Oftentimes when we think greater fruitfulness, the fruit that we're thinking about is very self-centered. A good word is a challenging word. Some of you didn't like saying it now, because you're being challenged probably. Oftentimes when you think about greater fruitfulness, it's very self-centered about me being more patient for the sake of me actually, not for the sake of the people around me. Me being more loving just so that I can have more friends. Being more loving to have more friends is a good thing. But it's when about what you're getting out of you being loving, then it's not agape, God's kind of love. Because God's love, as we'll see later, is self-sacrificial. It's selfless. So what is this fruitfulness that Jesus is actually talking about? Yes, there's the fruit of the Spirit and all of those things. But the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit in and of itself is almost, now don't quote me, or, uh, quote me out of context, it's a means to an end. Now I'm not saying use the Spirit as a means to an end. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a purpose behind having the Spirit. What's that purpose? Acts 1 verse 8. You'll receive power. It's talking about supernatural ability. Why? So that you can be a super duper Christian, so that you can have more goosebumps when you're coming together? Is it so that you can kind of uh, do signs, wonders and miracles? So that you can be a witness of me in all of the world. There's a purpose behind you having the Spirit of God. When we look at this parable that Jesus is talking about, the vineyard, branches and grapes produce grapes, right? You take a seed of a grape and it can produce more grapes. So when Jesus is talking about more fruitfulness in the terms of grape bearing, it's talking about people. Greater fruitfulness is always and will always be people's lives impacted, yourself including, and the people around you. God's kingdom currency is people. It's not gold. It's not any and everything else that you thought about when you thought about fruitfulness. God's kingdom currency is people. And so when Jesus is talking about greater fruitfulness, He's talking about people. He's talking about us, our lives being impacted, so that our lives can also impact those around us. So how does this cleansing go about? What is He talking about? Jesus talks about this and it says, um, 
and every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I've spoken to you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live in life and intimately join to mine. This greater fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about in the, the, the pruning or the cleansing is through the word. And he makes a statement, just so they understand again, I'm not saying that we need to work for our cleansing. Because he says you're already clean. Because how did you get clean? By receiving Jesus Christ. So now you're no longer a sinner, but you are a saint by DNA. But guess what? That DNA and that nature is not going to come about manifesting on the surface just because. Because you've got free will. And Romans 12 says that, be transformed, be changed in your outward as you renew your mind, as you change your mind to what you believed in the past, to what you are and who you are today through the Spirit of God inside of you. So this is talking about our identity, our nature, our position. So we, when you see this term, the Passion talks about remaining in life union. Most of the other translations talk about abiding. It's talking about making home. Guess what? The Spirit of God has made home in you. You have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He doesn't come and go. But guess what? His presence inside of you and His ability to manifest Himself is determined by your free will, your choice of having Him manifest in your life. That's a profound statement that a lot of people do not believe because they think God is sovereignly in control of everything. So whatever He wills will happen, whether I want it or not. That's not how it works because then everyone in the whole world would have the Spirit of God live inside of them. Because that's God's desire for His Spirit to live in, abide in every person on the face of the earth. But it's not the reality. It seems like you guys are not on, on the same page with me. Not every person on the face of the earth has got the Spirit of God living inside of them. Do you guys get that? Just nod your heads at you guys. And if you disagree with me, just nod your heads so I can know who I need to pray for after the service. So God's will does not just automatically come to pass because He desires or He wills for it. Because not the whole world is experiencing salvation. Not because it's not been made available to them, it's been made available. But they have to choose it. They have to accept it. Because how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and then receiving. Believing your heart, confessing with your mouth. So Jesus continues and He says, So it's receiving the Word, you've been cleansed by the Word, and then continuing in intimacy with Him. So your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to Me. So again, he's not making a statement of joining, unjoining, leaving and then coming. Because the branch, you cannot be disconnected from Jesus. That's an awesome reality. You cannot be disconnected from Jesus. He will not be disconnected from you. As a child of God, He'll never leave you. This is a declaration, Hebrews 13 verse 5. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. It's a promise from God. So you cannot be disconnected from Him ever. But in your mind, in your thinking, you can be disconnected to Him. And what does Proverbs says? As a man thinks in his heart, so easy. 
So even though you're connected to the family of God, as connected as you'll ever be, you could or could not experience that to the degree that you believe it or not. That's why we need to get into the Word. That's why Jesus is talking about the Word. Because it's the Word of God that's a declaration of who He is and what He's made available to us. It's not about His Word in a religious way or forceful way. It's not about like, oh, I need to get into the Word, I need to do this. If you ever feel like you need to spend time with someone, if you have a misunderstanding of it, it's probably an unhealthy relationship. So if you feel like you need to get to the Word, and it's a forceful thing, just stop and pray about that relationship and have your heart be impacted to the degree that you want to spend time with that person. Because that's God's invitation for us. It's not about getting into His Word and feeling like I'm a better Christian when I get into the Word. or I, I, I want to also kind of quote Scripture like, so-and-so is quoting scripture and I want to do this. No, that's not the purpose of the word, for you to quote scripture. The purpose of the word is to show you who God is, His nature, His character, and what He's done for you. That's the message of the Bible. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. The message of the Bible is God's love for you. His desire to have all men be saved. His desire for all men to grow in the understanding of their salvation. That's a simple gospel. And that's the purpose of the word. Now, you can be saved and just be a child of God and it's awesome and one day we're going to all see each other in heaven for all of eternity. And that can be your standard of Christianity. But God's standard of Christianity is the sky's the limit of what He wants to and desires to accomplish through your life. Because every life in this room is significant. Every life in this room has got value. Guess what, what, what your price tag? It's not what society has put on you. Because then some of your price tags would be very cheap. would be very low. Your price tag is the life of Christ. That's your value. That's your worth. And because that's your value and that's your worth, you can do amazing things in this life. You can have a significant life. But it starts with getting to know Jesus and intimately enjoying friendship with Him and with His church. So what is the key to um, a fruitful year this year? It's intimacy with Jesus and one another. Because oftentimes we read the Bible and especially a lot of the epistles, we look at Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, all of these letters, we read the letters and we, we go to them, none of you, we go to them to get an encouraging word for myself. We go to them to, to kind of grow in our personal relationship with God, right? But guess who a lot of those letters are written to? Not to the individual, it's written to the church. The church of Corinth, the church of Ephesus, the church of Colossae, Philippi. The church means the body, the whole, the together. So we need to, when we're studying the word, we need to understand that God's heart is not just for me. Yes, it is for you, but it's for you and his bride, his church. So when Jesus is talking about the vineyard, guess what? 
There's not just one branch on a vineyard. There's many branches. That's you, that's me. So there's a significance of that that Jesus is also trying to communicate without necessarily literally talking about it. But guess what? We use the word to interpret the word. So what I'm saying to you is not counter the word. That Jesus is also talking about the togetherness, the, the greater body together, not just the individual that has to bear a lot of fruit. Verse 5, John chapter 15, from verse 5. I'm the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Or I love, um, I think the King James or some of the other translations talk about separated from me, you can do nothing. Now think about that statement. Technically you can do things, right? Without Jesus, without thinking about Him. Right? You can do things. All of you guys did things this week and it wasn't in line with God's heart for you. So you could do things without Him, without including Him, without being mindful of Him. So is Jesus lying here? Is He making an incorrect statement? No. So we need to dig a little bit deeper into the statement. Why would He say, without me you'll be powerless, or without me you can do nothing? Because without Him, whatever you do has got no significant impact. You can do a whole bunch of things. Be very busy, but it's will probably have no kingdom, eternal impact if it's without doing it with Him. Powerless. If you want to see a manifestation of power in your life, you need to do it alongside Jesus. You need to do your life, make your decisions with Him. Then it goes on, If a person separated from me is discarded, such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and my words live powerfully within you. Again, my words. It's talking about the Word of God. Jesus' words is part of the Word of God, the Bible. And if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Now just jumping back there, it says, But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, is discarded, such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. Now automatically, why do you think when you think fire? Hell. Let me say it, because some of you didn't want to say it. It's not a cuss word. In America, it is a little bit of a, um, uh, a controversial word to use. Like, um, it's, it's like seen as a cuss word almost. Um, but... We automatically often assume things when reading the Bible. Right? We shouldn't just assume. Within the context, and this is something we need to understand, the context gives definition to the word. The word doesn't give definition to the word outside of the context. So within the context of things, what did we already establish? If you're part of the family of God, you're not going to get cut off whether you bear fruit or don't bear fruit. Because God, we've looked at this awesome teaching last year, God is faithful to keep His promise, even if you are unfaithful. Unfaithful means you're not bearing fruit. You're going about your own life, your own way. 
God is faithful when you are unfaithful. God keeps His promise. He is able to keep you to the end, the Word says. What does to the end mean? Until the reappearing of Jesus, He's going to keep you. When you put your faith in Him, He's going to keep you. Now within that truth, we need to interpret this passage of Scripture. So when it's talking about those that are separated, will be discarded, and thrown into the fire to be burned, it's talking about insignificance again. You can do nothing. Insignificance. Powerless. Insignificance. They, you just fade into normality. You're just blending in with the rest of the world, living an insignificant life. Are you going to go to heaven if you receive Christ? Yes, you are. But you will live an insignificant life when you are doing your life without intimacy with Jesus, without intimacy with His bride, with His church. I trust that that blessed someone because... Oftentimes we think that we can lose our salvation. And that's an incorrect doctrine. It's an incorrect theology because it contradicts everything that Jesus came to do and the miracle working power of God. Then it goes on, it says, Living in life in you with me and if my words live powerfully within you. So again, that it's not just about his words and knowing His words, but it's talking about knowing Him. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a power that is manifest when there's intimacy mixed with His Word. It's not just the words, it's not just the knowledge. Because guess what? The, 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 the religious people of, of the Jewish day when Jesus came upon the scene, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of these guys, even Saul before he became Paul, they had a lot of knowledge about the, the Torah, about the Old Testament, about the Scriptures. They had knowledge upon knowledge. But they did not have understanding. They did not understand what the Word is talking about. And Jesus came and He says, and He opened their understanding so they could see what the Word is talking about. Talking about Him. Then you can ask whatever you desire and all will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, say abundant fruit. You demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Again, this abundant fruit concept, we need to understand, it's not just about us being more fruitful in our demonstration of the character of God, right? The fruit of the Spirit. It's not just talking about that. That is good. But if you're the most loving, most patient person in the world, yet you never share the gospel with someone else and give them the opportunity to enter into eternity with you. That is not truthful. It's not a condemning word, guys. I'm getting us to understand that the fruitfulness that God desires and that brings Him glory is fruit that goes beyond yourself. It goes to other people. It's allowing other people to receive God's Spirit so that they can also too bear the fruit of Christ and be transformed. To be set free from whatever bondage that they might be experiencing in their lives. So there's a maturity that God desires for us that brings about much glory to our Father. 
And that maturity does not come by default. Again, a good question to ask, and I've already kind of labored this point, but it's always good to, to settle things in our hearts. And I believe some of us, or all of us, are different places, so we need to maybe hear something again. It's a good question to ask and think about what causes someone to be discarded in context here. What causes someone be, to be discarded? Is it being fruitless or is it being separated from Jesus? The trick question, something to think about. The, the, the scripture, the passage is saying what it is, but oftentimes we, we focus on the fruit. We focus on the fruit, but we're not focusing on what is the problem. And the problem in this, co uh, in this context is separation. It's not fruitful, fruitlessness. The problem is not bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. The problem is separation, a lack of intimacy. So stop focusing on the fruit or the lack thereof in your life. Start focusing on Jesus and His love for you and enjoy intimacy with Him. And guess what? By natural default, there will be fruit in your life. Separation from Jesus is what causes fruitlessness. You can be born again yet not bear fruit because you are living separated in your mind and your thinking from who you are in Christ, who He is in you. An immature believer is someone who is saved but not growing in their knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 God's will is for all to be saved and to grow in their knowledge of the truth. So a fruitful, fruitless believer, an immature believer, is basically someone who's just received Christ, they're enjoying eternity with God, we're going to see them in heaven one day, they're not enjoying discipleship, being discipled in the Word, growing in the knowledge of the truth of the Word. What is heavenly fruit? What is heavenly fruit? Again, this concept of abundant fruit. Heavenly fruit, it's fruit that's eternal. It's not fruit that's temporal. Because being patient comes and goes, right? Being loving one minute, it's, it's very fluctuating. All of our emotions in this room, it's up and down, and some more than others, but like consistency comes over time, it comes with maturity. But the abundant fruit that Jesus is talking about more than anything else is people's lives being impacted because when someone receives Christ, it's not going to be undone. That's eternal. That's abundant fruitfulness. So, Jesus is actually encouraging us here to be mindful of, of this very thing. And if more of the Christian world had this, this view of Christianity, other than just me, myself, and being a better person, and start looking to the people around them, and seeing fruit bearing us as someone else's life, being impacted through my life, and ultimately with the gospel then that is bringing glory to my Father. So up until now, we've looked at our position in Christ, sharing our lives with Him, bringing about this abundant fruitfulness. Let's continue on verse 9. It says, I love each of you with the same love the Father has loved me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commandments, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by His love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will be will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. 
So this is my command, love each other deeply as much as I've loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. This is awesome. There's, there's so much in here. And in the last few minutes, I'm going to just kind of lay a few important foundations for us. Firstly, like always, Jesus modeled how to love for us. Everything that Jesus is inviting us to partake of is something that He led for us. Jesus modeled how to love. And He says here, with the same love the Father has loved me. That's where it starts. You loving others starts with Him loving you. What commandments do we need to keep? Some of you are thinking about. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will live in my love. So what is the commandments that we need to keep to be able to live in His love? It says, love each other deeply. Now, if we take that out of context, like a lot of people do, I need to love, I need to uh, be this good person. If we take this concept of loving each other deeply out of a context and we don't continue reading, we'll miss the power and the driving force behind us. Where does this loving each other deeply come from? It's in proportion of His love, or it's in light of His love for us. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you, in proportion to how much I have loved you. We need to get an understanding of His love for us. And that comes with intimacy, that comes, or births intimacy. And then Jesus says, my purpose for telling you these things is so that. So there's a purpose behind him sharing this parable, guys. It's not just to kind of be better believers. There's a purpose behind it. He says, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy he experienced will be ours and overflowing happiness. Think about this. The joy that Jesus experienced and the happiness that he experienced is something that he has for us. And it comes within this context. Abiding to Him, being joined to Him, and being mindful of what He values. People. Now, think about that just for a moment. Joy and happiness that Jesus, the Son of God, experienced. Doesn't that seem a little bit unrealistic or impossible? Jesus making the same says that, I'm writing you these things so that you can experience the joy I experienced, and so your hearts will be overflowing with gladness. This is awesome. Jesus has never and will never invite us to something that is impossible for us to enjoy, to experience. In and of yourself, yes. With the Spirit inside of you, no. Because His Spirit has enabled and empowered us to do what He has called us, invited us to do. You'll do the same works and even greater because I go unto my Father. What does that mean, because I go unto my Father? Because He went and He gave. His Spirit was made available to us. So in light of that, we can do these things because we are joined with Him. So it's not an unrealistic or impossible statement. This love that Jesus is talking about here is God's kind of love, self-sacrificial love. It's a love that costs you something. Think about that. God's love cost Him something. It cost Him Jesus to die for us. 
Love sacrifices, love gives, love does not think about self. God's kind of love. You don't love in order to get. You love because it's part of your nature, part of your DNA. But we can only love like that in proportion to us receiving that. Yes, through the grief from one another, but among one another, we're always going to, until Jesus reappears and just radically glorifies everything about us, our emotions, our souls, our physical bodies, we're going to fall short at times. Now, I'm not setting a standard for you guys to fall short, but we need to be gracious towards one another when we fall short. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The disciples fell short of things after receiving the Spirit of God. They weren't perfect. So we're also going to fall short of things, but we need to understand ultimately that when you draw from God and His love first and foremost, we can love one another with this kind of love. In conclusion, all of what we're talking about hinges on one thing, intimacy with Jesus and intimacy with one another. That is the Christian life. It's all about intimacy with God, intimacy with Him, and intimacy with one another. What is intimacy? The dictionary defines intimacy as the state of having a close personal relationship or romantic relationship with someone. So intimacy, again, goes beyond just Knowing something, it goes into experiencing something. Because that's what romance is, right? It's not just intellectual. Romance is not just intellectual. Romance leads to an experience. Emotions. And so God's invitation for us into intimacy, greater intimacy, is not just about knowledge of His Word, but it's experiencing who He is. Experiencing friendship with Him, relationship with Him. But then also friendship with one another, relationship with one another. Now, how do we cultivate greater intimacy, greater friendship? It's a good question to ask, right? Because if intimacy is what God desires for us with, with Him and with one another, how do we cultivate this? And it's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. But I'll just draw out a few things for us. There's a lot of things that I can mention, but I just want to focus in on one or two things. And before I do, just want to read John 15:5 from the Message Translation. Because there's a few things here that I'm going to draw out for us. And it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. The relationship, intimate and organic, the harvest, sure, is to be abundant. Separated from me, you can't produce a thing. Intimacy needs to be organic. What does that mean? Personal. Personal to you. You cannot copy someone else's relationship with Jesus. Man, that's the worst thing that you can do. Try and have relationship with someone else or with Jesus the way someone else is having a relationship with Jesus. And the same with one another. You cannot try and have relationship with someone here or one of your friends like someone else is having a relationship with them. It seems silly when I'm saying it like this, right? But oftentimes we fall into that trap of wanting to copycat my relationship with Jesus to look like someone else's. It needs to be personal to you, to your life, 
your schedule, to your, your, your settings. I'm not saying to be lazy. I'm not saying to use your schedule as an excuse. But oftentimes, there's certain things that you cannot change within the, 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 the things and the settings that we grow up in. Catherine, myself, for example, we've, um, we, we have one son now. We've got another son in the womb, baking in the oven. He's coming in the next few weeks. And that changes our schedule. Our time looks different. Time spent with family looks different now and the amount of time. But within that, one of the amazing things that I've learned with having more time that I'm spending with, with my family or with my son, I've become more aware of my oneness with God and enjoying personal time with Him while I'm doing something else. It's not... It's not diluting my time with Jesus. It's actually amplifying it because I've started to see that time with Jesus is not just when I'm reading the Word. I can be walking with Chris and meditating on God's love for me while I'm walking with Him. You can do whatever you think possible and meditate on God's Word, on His goodness, on His love for you. So it doesn't just need to look like so-and-so, that person or this person. It needs to be personal. It's time spent. Intimacy is time spent with Him. So it is going to be time spent. It is going to be, be time taken out to, to, to think about Him. Because as much as I can think about and meditate God while I'm doing something with Chris, my son, I can also just do it without thinking about God. Without meditating on His love for me. Without thinking about the father-son relationship that I have with God. So it's being mindful of that. And that takes purpose. It takes action. And we need to take that purpose and action because it does not just come by default. In fact, the enemy in this world is great at getting us to buy into things that is just taking us completely away from the mindfulness of our oneness with God and with one another and enjoying that with one another. So it's communing with them and each other, and that happens through the Word, through meditation, prayer, church, life group, etc. And then ultimately, last one that I thought would be good for us to think about in intimacy with Him. It's an openness and vulnerability with Him and with each other. An openness and vulnerability with Him and with each other. Let's stand together. So just run through those last... Uh, three points here to cultivating and experiencing greater intimacy with with God. Firstly, it needs to be personal. Don't be a copycat of someone else's relationship. And then our relationships with one another, let's make it personal. Let's not try and do it the way someone else is doing it. Then it's time spent with Him. Time spent with each other. Through the Word, through just meditation, continually throughout the day, prayer, church, life group. And then thirdly, openness and vulnerability with him and with each other we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like us to pray with you please contact us at info at gracelife.co if you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on twitter facebook and youtube